This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Circle to Hedman. Tease it up. Shoot! Score! Hedman! The Lightning win it! They win it again in overtime! This series is over! The Lightning win it! 3-2 in double overtime! And they're on to the Eastern Conference Final! Still getting closer. Maybe we find out today. Who knows? Islanders and Flyers. Greg Linnelli, Dave Michigan with you. Steve Versnick producing another Power Lunch show. It should be a good one. We've got a fun question to debate. Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com will be joining us in segment two. Which player is standing out more than you anticipated through two rounds? Of course, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Weigh in at Bolts Radio. And Dave, I think when we take a look and break down that question, the good news is I think there are a few guys you could choose and say, yeah, I I think that player is playing better than I anticipated, which is one of the main reasons Tampa Bay has advanced the Eastern Conference Finals in a way that they've won shorter series. I mean, that's the other part of this that's been pretty impressive, but when you took a, take a look at the Lightning's roster and maybe any preconceived notions you had about a particular player and then you see what they've been able to do right now, I think there are a couple for me that have jumped out. Yanni Gord, when we first had our show meeting very early in the morning where we like to <laughs> break down everything, Yanni Gord was somebody that jumped out at me for the maybe the simple fact that what we saw in the regular season was a bit of a down year for him. And, you know, I think a lot of times when you're not a star player, more so, and your play starts to dip from maybe the previous year, I, I think you don't know what to expect because one of the reasons, you know, a guy like Yanni Gord isn't, let's say, a Steven Stamkos for, there are many reasons, or a Nikita Kucherov, but those guys produce more offense consistently than Gord, even though their games obviously are different. There's a reason why Yanni Gord is a third or fourth line player. There's a reason why Stamkos and Kucherov and Braden Point are first and second line players. But Yanni Gord did have uh, a couple of years where he scored back-to-back 20-goal seasons, and I I think there was a level of expectation coming in to this season to see how well he would perform. And I think when he struggled, there were some questions. Okay, well, what are you going to get with Yanni? And while it's great to show the grittiness and the tenacity he plays with game in and game out, you do want to see him contribute offensively because we've seen it before. And I think for me, his play, not only offensively, but defensively through these two rounds and even in the round robin, has been a pleasant surprise and I feel like he is standing out more, and it's, it might just be more with the, the eye test more than anything. But that is one guy that has been very noticeable. And then maybe it's just piggybacking off of the series that he just had. But I think Andre Pilat has put himself back into a position where when we were raving about his play before, being a really good two-way player, being hard to play against and chipping in offensively. You know, I know last year at times that got lost because of some injuries, but, you know, there were some questions again, you know, is he on the decline a little bit or was it just an off year? And I think what we have seen from him 
during this playoffs has been a, I don't want to say a pleasant surprise, but it's been nice to see the results because you knew he had it in him. You just weren't sure if you were going to see it uh, at some point during these these playoffs. And boy, he's he's had one of the better playoffs, I think, of, of anybody so far. Well, Greg, you mentioned two players. I could probably come up with four yeah. others and add the two that you mentioned. And I think kind of from an overhead view, you're going to need that to have success in the playoffs. Or if you get it in the playoffs, it's a huge benefit to you. I guess you don't need it. I mean, it's possible to to win in the playoffs relying more heavily on maybe two or three guys. But I think for the Lightning, pretty much throughout the playoffs, everyone who was put on the jersey has played well and contributed. And maybe they're not doing it in terms of scoring goals or getting points, but they're helping in this push towards structure and patience and team defense I think I mentioned in that game one against Columbus, I felt the 36 players, not including the goalies, but the 36 players on the ice playing on both sides, everybody had a strong game, and it was the equivalent of two and a half games. And so I think that that much is true, but there have been impactful guys up and down the Lightning lineup beyond just the guys who are who are helping pull the oars, right, and, and, and help this this boat move forward so let me touch on Gord because you mentioned him Yanni Gord to me looks like the guy that we saw when he first came up and he has played very good hockey for the Lightning since that time but if you recall Greg when he came up in the second half of the 16-17 season the Lightning had a lot of injuries but they were making a push late in that regular season. They ended up missing the playoffs by a point. Gord was so impactful in just about every game, and he scored a fair amount. I remember he scored an overtime goal against Chicago, popped in a couple of goals in a game the Lightning absolutely had to have against Montreal late in the year. So he was scoring, but just his impact on games, and he really was like the energizer bunny out there and he was always on the puck, and he was so noticeable. Which is not to say that he was not noticeable since then, and you alluded to the fact that he's had a couple of 20-plus goal seasons since that year, 17-18 and 18-19, before he had his big offensive slump this year. But it's not only about goals and points, although that is important, and his line has contributed greatly during this playoff run. But Yanni looks to me or reminds me in a way of of the guy who first came up and having that kind of a tangible impact on the game in just about every game. And every time he's stepping out on the ice, he's, he's buzzing after pucks, he's holding on to pucks, his line is playing in the offensive zone, they're getting shots, they're getting chances, they're being a pain in the rear end for the other side. So I'm I'm completely on board with you on Gord. Palau we talked about in a previous show, and this is not something that we haven't seen from Palat before, never five goals in, in one playoff series like he did against the Bruins, but he has scored some really important goals for the Lightning in the playoffs 
during his time with Tampa Bay. And it's great to see that that he is doing that. But because he's done it before, while it's great to see, <laughs> I don't know, however you phrase the question, I, I don't know that I'm you know surprised by it, I guess. So I'll throw out a couple of other names. Uh, Barkley Goodrow. And again, here's a guy that it's different when when a player is on a different team. You're seeing that player maybe once or twice a year in a much different capacity where you're seeing that player play for 14, 15 minutes, and, and maybe that player is having an outstanding game. But most games for players are games, right? They're not... They're not having four goals in a game. They're not having a huge impact in you know, game 52 in the regular season where you might see them. It's different when that player is a player you see every game and you see every shift for that player. And I have been so impressed with Goodrow, the way he plays certainly, and the Lightning wanted to bring in a guy who, like John Cooper said, had some dirt under his fingernails, which, which Goodrow does. We talked about his willingness to to fight and be physical. He had a couple of fights against the Bruins, one in the playoffs and one in that game in March before the pause. But beyond that, and he and he's contributed too. I mean, he scored some goals and he's he's gotten some points and he's been an important part of that that line and he's been really good on the penalty kill. But this ties in the penalty kill work ties into what has impressed me about Goodrow's play. It seems like he's always making the right decision with the puck. And if there's a battle, he's coming up with the puck. And I know that that's hard to quantify. There's no stat that tells you, well, this player made 37 decisions in the game and 36 of them proved to be the right decision. There's no way to quantify that unless you see it. But I just feel like watching him, when there's a battle for the puck and he goes in there, I feel confident that he's going to come up with it (laughs) or if he's not going to come up with it he's going to give his opponent a really hard time and then when he gets the puck he's he's putting it in the right spot he's making the clear he's making the outlet he's getting to the red line and getting it in deep I just feel like every decision that he is making is the right one and then we mentioned his face-offs, which he hadn't taken a lot of face-offs before game five against the Bruins, but to go 17-5 and five against Patrice Bergeron, there are a handful of guys probably in Bergeron's career that have had that kind of a game in the dot against him. By handful, I mean five or less. <laughs> That's my guess. Yeah. I mean, how many times has Bergeron gone five and 17 against an opponent in a game in face-offs. I don't know that it's that's happened more in his long career. Sure. Maybe it's happened two or three times, and Goodrow did it to him in an elimination game for the Bruins. So I would include Goodrow in there. And then the probably the obvious one is Bogosian. And again, here's a guy, and again, Goodrow and Bogosian are guys who are newer to the Lightning. So the the amount of time that we've seen them play has been much more limited. But Bogosian is healthy, and I think we've we've spelled all this out, but he's healthy, he's playing with confidence, he's so happy to be here. Brian Engblom talked about that on our show yesterday, that after all these years, 12 years in the league, he finally gets a chance to play in the playoffs, and he's playing on a really good team. And you can just tell, like, his his smile is a mile wide. And he's playing like it. So... 
he's not only had the highlight reel plays, like on the Coleman goal in game two of the Boston series where Bogosian made that stick handling move and got the assist, but also his play on Chris Wagner later in the series where he caught Wagner and and prevented a breakaway from happening. But just the consistency with which he's playing, kind of like with, with Goodrow, like he's making the right decision, he's not being too fancy, he's not getting himself in trouble. In the offensive zone, if he gets a chance to shoot it to the net, he's doing that, He's he's come close to scoring some goals, he's hit some posts, goalies have made good saves on him, and if there's no shot there, he's content to just put it behind the net and let the forwards battle it out down low and, and let them play down low. So he has been really impressive. And then the last guy I'll mention, and this is a guy we have seen a lot, and again, Brian talked about him with us yesterday. I think Braden Point is playing like one of the top superstars in the league. And well, his level is already high, but, I mean, he is he is dictating play in these, in these yeah. tremendously important games – in a way that the other team just seems to have no answer for him. Well, Dave, I, and this is, you know, when we asked this question, was it after the Columbus series? We asked the question, is Braden Point? Because remember, Pilat had said it wasn't after his overtime series clincher. I think it was earlier in the series. When Pilat, remember, he made that comment, he's our best player. And I believe he's their best forward. And I think he's proving that every every game. And that doesn't mean he's their best offensive player. You could make a case Kucherov is. That doesn't mean he's their best shooter. I think you can make a strong case that's Steven Stamkos. But, Dave, there's not another player on this team that is as impactful offensively and is expected to do it and is consistent in doing it than Braden Point. I, I mean, I... The, the speed is there, and that, that's what sticks out. But he does get chances every game, which is one of the reasons why, you know, if they take on the Islanders, and who knows if that's going to be the case. Braden Point, it, it's an obvious statement, but one that speaks to my point. Even if the Islanders are really playing with their structure and suffocating Tampa Bay, Braden Point is one of the few players on that roster, Dave, that can create on his own that can beat structure with his speed. It's not going to happen every time, but he's going to get a few chances every game with that speed to make something happen. And if that means it ends up being a 2-1 game, a 3-2 game, and you only get a few chances, if those chances are coming from Braden Point leading the way, I think John Cooper is going to feel really good about his team creating scoring opportunities. Because, Dave, I don't think there's anybody or any system that can keep Braden Point and that line as well down for a whole series, maybe a game or two, but points always getting chances. And I think that's always a sign of a, of a great player. And I think that's, that is where Braden point is right now in his career. I do think he's their best player, the forward. I mean, we can debate headman. We can debate Vassie. I think up front, there might be guys who are slightly more talented, maybe in Cooch, but there's not another player at the forward position who means more and does more than Braden Point. He had to grind it out probably a little bit more in the Columbus series. Think about the goals that he scored. Now, yeah. the two overtime goals maybe were a little bit different. Like the one was a great shot from the slot and the other he got open in front. But 
you know, in game one, early in game one, he had a deflection goal where he got positioned in front. The other one, he had to find space in which game was it? It was it was three game three. He got the rebound off the McDonough shot. He found a little space to put it in. He was not able to kind of freewheel as much in the Columbus series as he did as it turned out in the Boston series. But it's not just what he's doing in the offensive zone. I mean, his face-off proficiency has been well above where he was during the regular season. He's up among the league leaders. And I think one of the most impressive parts to his game, and this this has been through the whole playoffs, he's become like a one-man breakout for the Lightning. So other players, they get the puck deep in their own end. They've got some pressure coming. They got to make a decision where to go. Do I flip it up? Do I go around the boards? Do I try and make a pass? Point with his explosiveness is able to just get the puck and skate it out. (laughs) And the other team seemingly can't stop him. And he's alleviating pressure. And Brian talked about he, 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 drew a parallel with with Matt Barzell of the Islanders, and he said Barzell and Point are automatic exits and automatic automatic entries into the offensive zone. And there's there's a lot of truth to that. Barzell is that type of player. Like Point, he'll come back deep into the defensive zone to get the puck, and rather than trying to make a play, like passing it or chipping it or rimming it, he just stick handles out of trouble. And sometimes that's not available to you, and when it's not, point will make the other type of play, whether passing it or or chipping it out, making the safe play. But I guess the, the point inclusion in this category is surprising only from the standpoint that points level heading into the playoffs was extraordinarily high, and yet I think he has even exceeded that level through these first two series. At least that's my opinion. And I value it, which is why we do it every day. Dave Mishkin, I'm Greg Linelli. Steve Versnick is our producer. We've got Eric Rollinson from lightninginsider.com. We'll talk to E about this topic and so much more. Getting you set for Islanders and Flyers tonight. And if the Islanders win, that's who Tampa Bay will take on in the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll see how that all transpires. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. It is Greg Linelli along with Dave Michigan, Steve Ersnick producing and joining us right now, our good friend from lightninginsider.com. He also has a new podcast out. Make sure you check it out. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Eric Erlinson joining us. And before we get to E. Dave, uh, Dan.MC answered our question when we asked which player is standing out more than you anticipated through two rounds. He said point. I know he's one of our best players, but he seems to be on a mission and wants to carry the team, leaving everything on the ice. We'll ask that question to Eric. E, great to be with you, buddy. And let's start there. Through two rounds and also round robin play, is there a player that's maybe standing out for you a bit more or more than you anticipated? How about Zach Bogosian? We didn't really know much about him. We'd heard so much of his difficulties in Buffalo. I remember, you know, talking to uh, Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News that 
I know, Greg, you and I have both had on as guests uh, many times through the past couple of years. Um, you know, they were surprised that why would why would the Lightning sign Zach Bogosian because of the difficulties he did have. And, you know, he stepped in and he's really provided a solid partner for Victor Hedman. You know, there were questions heading into this restart. Who was going to play with Victor Hedman? Was it going to be Jan Ruda? Was he going to get his spot back? Was it going to be Bogosian? And he's just been rock solid. He's made some really good plays. Uh, certainly the assist he had to set up Blake Coleman for his Superman goal there. Um, and the series against Boston stands out. So, um, I mean, Braden Point has been fantastic. I think Andre Vasilevsky is probably not getting talked about enough for the job that he has done. But if we want to go off a of surprise step-ups or, you know, players that have stood out that maybe we didn't expect, I would have to say Zach Bogosian. Eric, we had, we had a lot of names in the first segment that we talked about. Bogosian was one of them. Point was another, not that he wasn't already good, but we talked about how it seems like he's elevated his game even more. Yanni Gord, Greg mentioned, and I agreed with that, Palat too. But I mentioned Goodrow, and he's kind of in the same yep. boat as Bogosian in that he's a guy that when you don't see a player play every game, every shift of every game, sometimes it's hard to get a feel for that player. But to go 17-5 and five in the faceoff dot against Patrice Bergeron <laughs> – that in and of itself yep. is noteworthy, but I feel that Goodrow is just a machine at making the right decision at the right time with and without the puck, and he's a guy that I mentioned. Have you been impressed now that you've had a chance to see him a little bit more regularly during this playoff year? Absolutely. You know, you know, you think about players like him that because they're in the Western Conference, you only see him a couple of times a year. He was basically a fourth line role for the last couple with San Jose. So you you know, you know the name. The overtime goal he scored against Vegas in the opening round last year was a fantastic move he put off. So you remember that play, but you know, it's the appreciation of, as you mentioned, seeing players day in, day out. I remember this specifically with Anton Strawman when he came Yeah, here. I was thinking like, of him too. You know, okay, we know Anton Strawman, okay, his numbers look pretty good. If you want to go to the advanced numbers, they look pretty good. I know that the analytics crowd really liked Anton Strawman. And then you see him play every day, you're like, wow, what a steady player. Never makes the wrong decision, always in the right spot, just stands out for in so many little ways that aren't going to jump out at you. And I think it's the same thing with Goodrow. You know, he's so tenacious on the forecheck, too. I mean, you just go back to the, the job he did in game one against Columbus to, to set up the tying goal in the first shift of the third period. You know, we've seen that steadily throughout this playoffs from him. And and the faceoffs, too. I didn't realize he was, you know, much of a faceoff performer because we hadn't seen him take too many here for Tampa Bay. And then you look at the, sh the sheet the other night, and he's 20 for 29 in the faceoff circle. And, he, you know, doing most of that damage against Bergeron was just incredible to see. And, you know, we didn't see a whole lot of him do that. And uh, so, again, yeah, he, he's just one of those players that until you see him Every day, you don't really appreciate the job that he does. And, you know, let's give Julian Brisebois a ton of credit. He took a lot of heat for the price he gave up in the first-round draft pick to bring in Barkley Goodrow. But, boy, has it paid off so far in these playoffs. Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com joins us here on the show. And it is still incredibly that the Lightning have been doing this. Again, short series against very good opponents without the services of Steven Stamkos. You know, who knows when he comes back. But... It does speak to the depth, and I think the teams Tampa Bay has downed in the playoffs so far have really struggled matching the Lightning's depth. But I think it is something that we need to keep 
reminding ourselves that they're doing this without the services of a 40-goal scorer who was having a really good year. And their best face-off guy, too. It's, yeah. um, you know, again, we, we've talked about this so much this year, that the strength of this team is their depth, and especially at their forward depth. So you can absorb a loss of, of a Steven Stamkos who hasn't played a minute yet in this postseason. You know, you're able to win that game five without the services of Nikita Kucherov for basically three periods, um, four periods, if you, if you, you know, count that, that second overtime uh, as a full period. Um, and Ryan McDonough, you know, they missed Ryan McDonough for three games in that series against the Bruins. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's just that collective effort, too, with the, the depth and the understanding and the buy-in, whatever phrase you want to use to talk about when teams have that next man up mentality. We've heard that a couple of times here through this postseason for Tampa Bay. And, um, yeah, it, you know, if at this point, if you get Steven Stamkos back, it's, it's a huge boost. It's, uh, you know, something that you'll bring back and you'll welcome back into your lineup, but you understand that you have guys that can step in and, you know, not fill his role, but fill in roles that help this team win. Now that we've had a couple of days to digest and process the series against the Bruins with the benefit of, of hindsight in a couple of days, what do you see as the, the biggest keys that led to the Lightning's success? Uh, their five-on-five play, to me, it was the biggest thing. I, I asked John Cooper that question a couple of times throughout the series about how much Tampa Bay was going to benefit from keeping the series at five-on-five play as much as possible. I mean, the Bruins only scored five even-strength goals in five games. If you're going to do that, you're going to win, um, You know, especially with, with the Bruins. If, if you're going to control the Bergeron line and not let Pasternak and Marchand go loose – um, and Marchand did early in the series, but uh, he wasn't as much of a factor in the, in the last couple of games. Um, but to me, that's the strength of this team. We know that the power play, when it's going, can be dangerous, just as it was um, in that Game 3 win where they get three power play goals. Uh, came up with a the, with the key goal, a little fortunate on the Victor Hedman goal in Game 4 uh, to take the 3-1 series lead. But it was the 5-on-5 five five play. It's, it's their structure. It's, it's the way that, and I think John Cooper used this phrase you know, that when things do break down, they, they, they can rely on their structure and they can get back to it. They understand what they're supposed to do now, maybe a little bit better than they have in the past. So they don't panic. We've heard Ryan McDonough talk about that. They just kind of find their way through some of those issues that maybe they had in the past where, you know, they have trouble maybe getting the puck out. They don't panic now. They just kind of get back into that, that structure that they talk about, especially in the defensive zone. And to me, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, when you, when you have the depth that this team has to score goals and you can play defense the way that they have really throughout most of this postseason to date, uh, it's going to be a, a good formula and they're going to give themselves good chances to win games. E, what do you do moving forward? I know some of it may depend on personnel some of it may depend on matchup but would you stay 11 and 7 uh i guess it depends on the health of the forwards um i know we've had this conversation uh, more than a few times uh, this year greg i think this team when fully healthy is better suited 12 and 6 because of their forward depth but with the absence of stamkos and the uh, depth that they do have on defense, it certainly worked in the series against Boston. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work against whoever you end up facing uh, here in the conference finals. Uh, it's certainly an option. You know, at least you can kind of look at it and say they're comfortable. But, you know, then again, you, you get into a situation like they did in game five where you lose a forward in the first period, basically. I know Nikita Kucherov played six shifts in the second period. You know, and then you're playing the rest of the game with ten forwards. Um, that can wear you down. Um, you know, you look at some of the, the ice time of some of the players 
from game five of the forward groups were you know a little bit higher than normal obviously with the double overtime situation but um, I, th- I still think this team is best at 12 and six when they're fully healthy but um, if you're not going to get Steven Stamkos back it's it's something that uh, I think they would probably stick to uh, when they get to the next round. Eric, Greg mentioned at the start of this conversation about your new podcast, which we mentioned the last time you came on early in the Boston series. That is something you are recording on game night, and that makes for a very long game day slash game night. What does your game night look like from watching the game, writing, Zoom interviews, podcasts? Like, how are you getting all of that done and also processing it? It's not just like you need to create. You need to, to kind of process what you're seeing to be able to, to ask questions, write your article for lightninginsider.com and do the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's a challenge. There's no doubt. It's you know usually I, I was so used to so many years just you know providing the the content you know in, in terms of an article and shipping it off and let somebody else handle it. Right. Well, now I've got to be able to, to uh, put it all together in different formats because on top of that I, I do the Facebook Live with Jay Retcher from ninety five point yes, three after the games that. as well. You know, which is a lot of fun and we get a lot of interaction with that and uh, certainly enjoy back and forth with Jay. Uh, as well. So we do that as soon as the post-game uh, interviews are over with the Zoom calls. So um, it, it's, you know what, it's just it's just what I do. It's just kind of pushing your way through it. I mean, there's, look, I, it is it is difficult because there are some nights, especially with some of these later starts, where I might be up by the time I go to bed, it's 5, 5.15 in the morning. I mean, it's, it's close to the time that my wife is getting up to go to work by the time I get into bed. Um, but it, it's just, it's just part of it. And, you know, it, sometimes talking about it too. And I found this through the years as well. Now that maybe I have a little bit more time talking through th- things with Jay or, or talking through things with the podcast and, and getting that, uh, up and, and shipped off to get, to get posted kind of helps process that information as well to maybe formulate different ideas. Cause you don't, the one thing that you have to do in, in my situation is you don't want to be repetitive, right? You don't want to be writing about the same thing you necessarily talked about on the podcast and you don't want to be talking to the podcast, maybe some of the things you talked about with, with Jay in the Facebook live. So you want to try and make everything fresh and, and that kind of allows you to kind to, or allows me to look at things maybe from different angles and pursue different thought processes along the way but um, between that and you know my son is writing some stuff for the website now he's doing these day these playoff diaries which has uh, been a lot of fun so I'm editing that on top of everything else so uh, it makes for long nights but uh, I certainly hope that uh, my appreciation and passion for it comes through and where people where can people listen to the podcasting uh, yeah, just search for Lighting Insider wherever you find podcasts. It's um, you know Apple, it's on Stitcher, uh, it's on Spotify. We're it's supposed to be on Google. We're having some issues with Google right now, so if that's where you usually get it, we're still trying to find our way through that process. But it should be on Google soon. So uh, just wherever you get your podcast, just search uh, for Lighting Insider or, or search for Eric Rowlandson. Do it, do it. Um, I wanted to ask you about John Cooper. You know, when your team doesn't win the Stanley Cup and you're a successful coach, a lot of criticism is thrown your way. Some of it legit, some of it not, probably most of it not. Has he changed maybe, I don't want to say his standing, but do you think he has evolved as a head coach, maybe more so this year than at any point in his career 
as a coach. Now, I know you could sit there and say, well, you can ask Coop, and that, that's fine, but I, I'm asking you, you've been around this team a long time. You feel like this year they've made the appropriate adjustments more so than in any other year? Yeah, you know, what happened to them last year, I think, will humble a lot of people uh, involved in the organization from top to bottom through what they had in the regular season and then what happened in the series against Columbus. It, it makes it, it, it offers an opportunity for some serious reflection. And, and again, that's not just John Cooper. That's everybody that was involved with that. Um, but, but I think what we've seen from the coach this year – I think this is his best coaching job. You know, he's been a candidate for coach of the year, um, you know, a couple of times. But I would say that, and even this is before we even got to the the, the playoffs. I think we go back to March. I think you could sit here and say that this has been his best coaching job with this team this year because the struggles that they went through early in the year. You know, they brought in some new players, obviously with Pat Maroon and Kevin Shattenkirk and Curtis McElhaney, and you know those guys that they brought in, and you know trying to push past what happened last year and, and maybe change the personnel of the team just enough to kind of maybe make things look and feel different. Uh, it took a while. It took a while to get there. It was not until after Christmas when they went on that 24-game stretch where they turned their season around and, and climbed the standings and, and got out of the, the mid-level of the pack and, and climbed right up onto you know second place in the conference. And if you look at the way that you know he's, he's stressed um, you know the defensive structure a little bit more, uh, get the understanding of how he wants the team to play and getting the players to buy into that. You know, I, I go back to the quote that he gave after game one against Columbus last year where they lost the 3 nothing lead, ended up losing the game in regulation. And I think this resonated, and I think, you know, you talk about soul-searching. I think this resonated with everybody in the organization where he said, we were too worried about scoring the fourth goal instead of preventing the first. We didn't need any more to win that game. And they pushed hard for the fourth goal. And I think that kind of snowballed on them after that. So I think that's where the difference mentality comes in, where they have been able to get that message through a little bit more clear to the players. And look, when you've had, when you've been as close as this team has for a couple of years, and then you have what happened to you last year happen to you, it really kind of makes some self-evaluation um, a little bit more easier to kind of go through. Because what you were doing before, wasn't working. It wasn't getting you to where you wanted to go. So this was the tweaks. So we've heard John Cooper use that phrase a couple of times. Tweaks in how they went about themselves. Not necessarily in their style of play and not necessarily in their their system play, but just some mental tweaks to kind of get the players to understand, okay, you've got a three-goal lead. You don't need another one. You just can't put yourself into a position where you're going to take a risk, where you're going to turn the puck over, where you're uh, going to pinch in at a, at a bad time and, and give the other team life. You can't do that, and I think that's the biggest coaching adjustment that I think him and his staff has made this year. The Lightning will be getting the winner of the Islanders-Flyers series. That game six is tonight. Isles up 3-2. What are your thoughts on that series so far? Um has not been the most exciting type of hockey to watch from an entertainment standpoint. Um, I Apparently I was inadvertently trolling Islanders fans uh, on Twitter because I said that they, they're trying to single-handedly draw the league back to the dead puck era because of their shot suppression. You know, they in their own zone, it is so hard to play the Islanders and get inside. You know, if you look at the heat map from the series against the Bruins and see how many goals that the Lightning scored from those slot areas uh, on tips, deflections, whatever they were, you know, they got inside. 
The Islanders don't let you do that. It is difficult to get in there. So they have a they have an attacking style that they counter so well, but they sit back and they wait for you to make a mistake, and, and they will they will wait you out. Uh, and I think in some ways the Flyers sort of play that same way, maybe not to the degree that the Islanders do, but um, they will also you know maybe not in a, I don't want to call it a shell. But it reminds me a little bit of a soccer team mentality. Every once in a while, where they pack it in on their own end, and then they wait for an opportunity to counter. Philly's not as bad, but they do that when they get a lead uh, on you. Uh, hasn't worked as the Islanders have come back a couple of times in this series uh, in third periods. Um, so w- whichever team they end up facing, it, it's going to be, and again, another test of patience. And I think that's a, another area where, this team has become a little bit stronger mentally is in their approach. And I think we saw it big time in the very first game of the playoffs when game one against Columbus where they go five overtimes where they were patient. They weren't, they weren't forcing things. They, they were letting things happen instead of trying to make too much happen, right? Um, you know, so it, all at the same time being responsible. And, and I think that that's going to be key, uh, whoever it is they end up facing next, because both those teams can really lock it down on you uh, and really be a, a test of will. So I'm going to say something here that's going to make maybe Lightning fans uncomfortable and, and maybe my partner a little uncomfortable, maybe Yui a little uncomfortable because we don't like to put the cart before the horse. I, I look at the remaining teams right now in the playoffs. And again, this doesn't mean Tampa Bay is going to win the whole thing. I think they're the best team. I do. I, I, you could have maybe said that when they led Pittsburgh three games to two, Washington three games to two, although they lose those series and... Um, you can make the case. Obviously, they lost to the better team because those teams went on to win the Stanley Cup. Fair point. I think with the remaining teams left, and I had some conversations with some family members and some friends, and we were just, you know, they were talking about what do we think, and I said that to them, and they did not disagree. And, you know, I, some of them don't have a, a dog in the fight. You know, there are other, other fans. They listen to the show because they like lightning hockey and how successful it's been but uh, do you have an opinion on that e i mean doesn't mean they're gonna win it i think they're the they're the best team left Uh, it's certainly debatable uh for sure um i still like the way vegas is playing i like the way that their roster is constructed and you know you want to talk about a team that's deep offensively look at the 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 playoffs alex tuck has had sure uh for them you know i i think that um I, i i look i you could certainly make the case and and i don't think he would be wrong um you know, if Steven Stamkos comes back and he's healthy and he contributes, uh, for sure, I, I think that's a very valid point. Um, but, you know, this this is where the Lightning are so much better this year, even though maybe the, you know, they're still one of the top scoring teams in the league, but their defense is so much better. And I think maybe that's where their, their team aspect comes into it. And, um, you know, I, it would be it would be a good debate. It would be a fun debate. Um, I, Do we have I, that I, debate now? That, are we doing that? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know, in, in the depth that the, the, the Golden Knights have at, at goaltender now with uh, Leonard and, and Marc-Andre Fleury, is, you know, as long as Marc-Andre Fleury is not becoming a famous meme uh, on Twitter, um, you know, so I, 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 don't, I don't think you're wrong. Let, let's put it that way. I, I think that this team, um, it, because of the additions that they've made, they've become such a deeper team on top of that. And, and just given the different personality and a different look that John Cooper could put out there at any, any point in time, um, you know, I, I would agree with you in, in a lot of aspects for sure. Steve, can you record that and make sure we play that as a promo 
Eric <laughs> Look, agrees. I didn't say it was a great question, Greg. Oh, come on. It was. <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Well, I would just Dave stand put away in my two question. cents and say that if you have the choice of having the title of best team or the title of Stanley Cup champ, yeah. I think the Lightning would rather have the title of, of course. Stanley of course. Cup champ. And sometimes... Every day of the week. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the best team... You would like to say the best team always wins the Stanley Cup, but that isn't always the case. You know, you have injuries. Colorado is a much different team today than the Avalanche were at the start of the playoffs when Grubauer was healthy, when Eric Johnson was healthy. They had more injury problems, obviously, last night where they lost another one of their defensemen. And I remember in 2018, guys, the Lightning won the first two rounds similarly in in 10 games. They beat the Devils in five, and then just like this year, they beat the Bruins in five. And they really felt that they were on track. And they simply ran into a locomotive in Washington. So I think a lot of people going into that series against the Capitals felt that the Lightning were rolling and I remember the talk was the Capitals, now that they finally beat Pittsburgh, they're going to exhale. That was some of the talk heading into game one. And it was actually the opposite. Beating Pittsburgh, I think, turbocharged the Capitals. And they reached a level that was championship worthy. So I guess I don't really know how to answer the question. I'm on board with Eric that Vegas – in terms of its roster construction and how the Golden Knights are playing right now look very impressive. But ultimately, it's about you and your opponent and who's going to be maybe not the best team, but the better team in that series. And we don't know the answer to that yet. Whoever the Lightning get in the next round, though, it is going to be a tough series. That team will be really strong defensively, as Eric pointed out. And the Lightning are going to have to be okay with maybe not getting the same level of grade-A chances that they had in the Boston series and may be faced with more of a grinded-out type series like they had in the Columbus series. I do have one last question for you, Eric, though, and it's not really on-ice related, but it's more about this new world with how these games are being covered. So the reporters do not have a chance to do one-on-ones. You can't go into the locker room. It's all Zoom press conferences. And I'm just curious, like, how have you found that? Are there positives to it? I know a lot of the reporters have felt that that they're missing some things because you can't have a one-on-one. You can't ask a follow-up question. But on the other hand, you have access to every question, which maybe you don't always have when you're in a locker room and there's one conversation going on one side of the room and you're involved in a different conversation on the other side of the room? It's a challenge. Uh, I think the league should be commended for being able to set up these Zoom interviews and at least give us access. And I feel fortunate to be able, you know, usually one of the ones that's called on because I'm not a member of the PHWA um, anymore. Um, you know, and usually that's the status is kind of given to those who are members of the PHWA. So in that, and that from a selfish standpoint, I feel fortunate to be able to do that. But it is from a uh, standpoint that it's frustrating because you only get the one question. You don't get a follow-up. You can't watch practice. You can't – look, those one-on-one conversations are so important for what it is that, you know, we do on this side of it. 
you know, to forge relationships and, and to forge trust and uh, everything like that from the players and the coaches who get to know you a little bit, understand how you operate professionally and uh, and everything. So you can maybe get some more information sometimes or, or get better insight into something um, that normally maybe you wouldn't be able to. So those those aspects are very important to what it is we have to do. Uh, I think it has been frustrating, too, that in some ways, because you have no way to continue a, a press conference, right? Like you've got a, a, a gatekeeper on the other side of it. And I have not, I don't think I've seen any of these post-game or even off-day interviews go more than about six, six and a half, maybe seven minutes per subject, and that includes sometimes when there's two players up there. In the case of John Cooper, he does talk a lot, and we love that from this aspect, but after six minutes, you're talking maybe that's only about four four questions maybe. So y- you don't get the insight that maybe you would in a normal circumstance, and you know you can't maybe get in a couple of extra questions because if you're only going to get one, you better make sure it counts, right? Like you can't have a throwaway question and, and try and get an answer, and I, I've had that happen a couple of times, and I'm knocking myself against the head because why did I ask that question? I should ask this instead. You don't get an opportunity to follow up on it. And that that kind of hurts the coverage too because now basically because everybody has access to everything, everybody's got the same storylines because the way we build things off of is usually off of comments or you know insight from the players or coaches that we ask and now that's limited. Real quick follow-up, is this different though than a typical playoff year where I understand they open the room, but generally Cooper is coming out at a podium for pregame and postgame, it is the same, isn't it? Where they, they send out a couple of players and the coach? Yeah, in that aspect, it is. And from a playoff standpoint, um, you know, if like whoever might have scored the game winning goal, they'll bring them to the podium because there's no, they know that there's going to be more attention. Because as, as we know, as you get deeper into this, you get more and more media following around. You get, you know, a lot of the national media start following around. And, you know, so it's a little bit harder to conduct those type of interviews with, you know, 25, 30 people around one locker stall. It's almost impossible for that to happen. So they do bring that out. Um, but you do have the opportunity to, because all that stuff is being recorded, just as it is now, not necessarily in the same format, but it is being recorded and available to you if you don't make that. Meanwhile, you can stay in the locker room for, you know, five extra minutes and, you know, go talk to a Yanni Gord for, you know, a couple of questions, maybe in a one-on-one situation. So um, that 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 adds to maybe you have a storyline you want to pursue. Maybe you can get that and add to it. That That's something somebody else doesn't have, right? Like, okay, I got these great quotes from Yanni Gord who builds right into this uh, as opposed to everybody having access to it. Before I let you go, Braden Point, the best player, at least forward, on this Lightning team? Yes. Um, I think that he has, as you guys mentioned, he's taken his game to another level this year. Um, His health is very noticeable. It's like it's night and day from what we saw Braden Point early in this season. He was still producing, but just the way that he carries himself now, the confidence he has with the puck, his – uh, desire to he wants the puck now right like you you see it he wants the puck he wants to create he can kind of come back and, and generate some speed coming through the neutral zone with the puck on a stick and really backs off defenders I mean the, the the play he made to set up I 
I forget which goal it was in, in the Boston series where he spun off the wall and, you know, eluded two or three guys to set up Shattenkirk uh, for a shot. I think that was the one that Kucherov uh, went off a Kucherov stick. I mean, you watch that play and you're like, wow, where did that come from? Because we we haven't seen that type of level from Braden Point, uh, but it's come out in this, this series, the two overtime goals obviously stand out in the series against Columbus, but I thought he was fantastic in the series against Boston too. All righty, where can people subscribe to your work and listen to the podcast? Do that one more time. Yeah, uh, lightninginsider.com is the website. And uh, again, daily stories, including one that uh, just posted last night on the radio broadcast as I got to hang out with uh, Dave and the guys uh, on Saturday for uh, game four um, for what the broadcast looks like in this in this new age. So uh, if you want to sign up for yearly, if you want to sign up for a monthly, those options are available right at the homepage. And the podcast, uh, just search for Lightning Insider on Spotify, Stitcher, on iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And, uh, you know, leave those five-star reviews because they're big and they're huge and they're helpful. No subscription necessary for the podcast, correct? That is not a pay thing. That is uh, that is free for anybody, but uh, you can subscribe for free so it shows up right on your app whenever it, when it gets posted, so you don't have to search for it once you subscribe to it. Beautiful. E, great job as always, buddy. We'll listen, we'll continue to read, and we'll continue to have you on the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Eric Erlinson joining us there. We'll take a break, come back, and wrap things up. It is the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. All right, thanks to Eric Erlinson who joined us in that previous segment. Greg Linelli with you along with Dave Mishkin. Dave, maybe let's take a look at the game today that all Lightning fans are going to be watching. And I guess the simple question is, do we think the Islanders are going to close it out against the Flyers? It's really hard to beat a team in the playoffs three times in a row, which is what the Flyers are attempting to doing. My sense is this is going to be the Islanders game, but uh, who knows if Philadelphia gets that goaltending could be a little different. There are some question marks heading into will Barzell be able to play? Will Couturier be able to play? They both got hurt in Game 5. Will the Islanders be able to be more impactful for more of the game than they were in Game 5? And I understand what Eric was saying, that they kind of sit back and wait for mistakes. But I tell you what, when they have a chance to, to press the attack, they are capable of doing it. I think you made the point, Greg, that the Islanders have impressed you with their ability to score goals in bunches this playoff year. So I guess I can understand why Islanders fans got their hackles up when Eric made that comment or tweet about dragging the NHL back to the dead puck era because I do think that the Islanders have some pop to their game offensively beyond Barzell. Beauvillier has has really emerged this playoff year as a weapon offensively. Anders Lee has been a prototypical power forward. Brock Nelson has an incredible shot that we've seen both in person when the Lightning have faced the Islanders, but also, you know, watching these games. And he's hurt the opposition with his ability to shoot the puck. Brian Pollock, I think I mentioned, has an incredibly hard shot from the point. So it's not like the Islanders are incapable of scoring, but I, I felt like in game five, 
And maybe part of it was one team was facing elimination, the Flyers, and the other team wasn't, the Islanders. The Flyers really dictated things for much of that game up until the last five minutes of regulation. And then overtime was wide open, and the Islanders could have won the game in overtime. But from the Islanders' side, I think if you're an Islanders fan, you'd like to see your team put their their footprint on this game prior to the last five minutes in the third period and let the chips fall where they may. Understanding they want to play their tight defensive structure, but I also felt like they were not as tight either in game four or game five defensively as they had been for much of the playoffs prior to that. From the Flyers' side, it's it's like wash, rinse, repeat, right? Like they need to put forth the same push that they showed for much of game five. And let's face it, in most instances, if you're up 3-1 with five minutes left in the third period and you're as good of a defensive team as the Flyers are, usually that's that one is closed. Like that chapter's closed, that's money in the bank. So, you know, I think that they should feel good about how they played the Flyers in game five, and they're going to have to replicate that tonight, understanding they may get more pushback from the Islanders than what they saw for much of game five. But even without Couturier, you know, we mentioned this, Giroux is now on the board. He scored his first in the playoffs. Van Riemsdyk, who has been in and out of the lineup for the Flyers, but still a very capable offensive producer, scored in game five. And, you know, Eric is right that it's hard to get inside on on the Islanders for rebound goals or tips, but, you know, the Flyers did score. Giroux's goal was on a tip, and the winning goal by Scott Lawton was on a tip, where they both got position in front and were able to make plays on point shots. So I guess we'll talk more about it tomorrow when this game is over, and we'll find out if the Lightning are playing the Islanders or if there is going to be a Game 7 on Saturday between the Flyers and Islanders. Yeah, and then the Golden Knights quickly have an opportunity to close things out against the Canucks at Game 6. They're up 3-2 in that best of seven. And as Eric said, maybe next to Tampa Bay, one of the deeper teams in the league. And, you know, the question is goaltending a bit, but we'll see how that plays out tonight. What do you make of, of that game quickly, Dave? Well, if Markstrom is able to play, and I don't know what the situation is with him, but he was deemed unfit to play for the last game. So Thatcher Demko came in, and that was a goalie win. I mean, he made 42 saves. Canucks got outshot 43-17 and, and rallied for a 2-1 win. So if Markstrom is healthy, do you do you go back with Demko? I mean, I don't know. Do you yeah. reward him with his performance? That is unclear. But I think that is going to be a, a hard path for the Canucks to replicate to get outshot almost 3-1 to one and win. So if they are going to send this to a seventh game, I think they're going to need to level the ice more than what we saw in game five, no matter who is their goalie, their starting goalie in in game number six. Dave, good stuff today. Appreciate it as always. We're going to do it again tomorrow, and hopefully we're talking about an Eastern Conference final matchup. Thank you, my friend. All right. Talk to you tomorrow, Greg. All right, thanks to Dave Michigan, thanks to Eric Erlinson, thanks to Steve Ersnick. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to one, right here on Lightning Power Play.